Hey, Take 3 listeners, it is Jordan here, and I first wanted to say that we here at Take 3 know that there are other podcasts you could be listening to during this period of isolation, but we do thank you for choosing ours. Uh, I'm sure that you are well aware of the state of the world at the moment, and there's a lot of what-ifs and unknowns and uh, how-do-I-know-what-to-trust happening right now. And I wanted to offer just a bit of relief before we start this episode. Uh, I am an avid listener of the podcast called This Week in Virology, or TWIV for short. Uh, And if you're looking for a trustworthy source, TWIV releases weekly episodes covering updates with COVID-19. They pride themselves on putting data first and sort of dismantling conspiracy theories if they aren't backed up. And they have a batch of experts from the field every week to deliver current events. Now, the podcast usually focuses on discussing like current events with epidemiology and virology, but over the last few weeks, they've, you know, obviously uh, solely covered the coronavirus. Uh, I trust them to provide the facts and recommendations on how to navigate this difficult time, and you should definitely uh, give them a listen, and you should tell them we sent you. Again, they are This Week in Virology. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're on all major podcast apps, uh, but they're also online at microbe.tv slash twiv. Again, that's microbe.tv slash t-w-i-v. Uh, hope that helps, and uh, now I'll stop talking so you guys can listen to the episode. Thanks for your support, guys. Kathy Bates, she's a goddess. She will always be. She's goddamn Bobby Boucher's mother. Are you kidding? She's like, I fucking love her. Ugh. All right. <laughs> hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is take three, a movie podcast. Take one. Do y'all know what this asshole just told me? <laughs> Tell him. He's never seen Titanic. Well, we're no. about to fix that. Listen, listen. So I <clears throat> I bought it and briefly scrubbed through it and realized that I I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of this movie. I've seen um enough references to this movie to understand like like i get it i know what the movie's about. like you know how it ends <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh but i like i saw a part where kathy bates was in this what no i had no idea that she was in this movie not a clue the only the only parts that really stick out to me i remember because i was like really afraid of them uh, when I, you know, grew up with this, because I feel like I grew up watching bits and pieces of it. It was when I guess they're jumping off, and some guy jumps off and like whacks his legs on the big propeller. Oh, gotcha! And that like was terrifying to me. Um, but the whole like Leo and it's Kate Winslet, right? Uh huh. I know nothing about them. I know I don't know why he wants to draw her like a French model. Uh, I know the Mandela effect thing with the King of the World bit, but like everything else, no idea. So this will be fun.
I'm the type of person that's wished they'd never seen this movie. I mean, I love it, but it is like so devastatingly sad. This is our 30th episode, so we need to do something like monumental. <laughs> yeah, like something like big. And so let's do a ridiculously long movie. What I remember about this when I was little was I never would see it all at once just because it was so long and a little kid wasn't going to sit down and watch that whole thing. Also, I think I was like scared of it happening. I mean, I knew that the ship sank. I knew that that's the basis of the story. The front half didn't interest me because it's like a love story and all that. And then the latter half didn't interest me because I was terrified of it, you know. Mm -hmm. I do remember having two VHS tapes. Like, it came in a big box and it was split because they couldn't fit it both. Or they couldn't fit it on one tape. I feel like I had the same thing. We probably still have it somewhere. Yeah. That would be the case with so many movies now if we were still on VHS. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now that movies are, like, getting longer. Yeah, they just get longer and longer as we go. Um, but I know that this was for a long time, it was the highest grossing movie of all time, not adjusted for inflation. It's James Cameron's first of two back to back having that honor, um, with Avatar. You know, he beat himself when he did Avatar. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Has any other director like done that consistently? Like just kept beating their own records? Um, I think uh, opening weekend records, the Russo brothers beat themselves for Endgame. I think Infinity War and then Endgame. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that James Cameron is able to turn out not wholly original stories, because this is based on a an event and Avatar is clearly an amalgamation of a couple of different movies. But, like, to release movies that have no source material that aren't based on existing IP and to be the most successful movies, like, that is just crazy. Like, James Cameron, I know that this might be a little bit early, but I just really can't wait to talk all about James Cameron in Take 3. Like, because, <laughs> I mean, this man, sure, like, he's made some movies I don't like and movies I really love, but he just really knows his audience And even though I'm so annoyed and not looking forward to Avatar at all, I mean, I am just kind of curious as to like how he's going to try and top himself. Even if he doesn't top himself, I'm interested to see how he'll try. But I mean, we're maybe getting too ahead of myself because I know this is about 1997's Titanic. Mm -hmm. It is our 30th official movie episode, and I'm super pumped that we made it this far. I figured. One of us would have killed the other one a while ago. This is, uh, like, I, I don't know, this thing, like, when we got to 20 and we got to 10, I was, like, excited. I think this is cool. I was, too. And I know we have, like, um, anniversaries. And I just saw a memory maybe, like, a week ago on Facebook that we had released Jurassic Park. Yeah. And seeing that was like, oh, my God, that does not feel like a year ago at all. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we have... We've made it this far. See, to me, it feels like three years ago or four years (laughs) ago. I was like, wow, I don't even remember like my state of mind when I was doing the research for that shit. But um, look at us now. Yeah. And that was speaking of. So that was one of the first uh, episodes that our aunts picked up. The ladies over at um, We Explain Movies. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I know that this was um, a movie that. I see, and now I feel bad because I don't remember who recommended it, but one of them wanted us to do this movie. So I'm glad that we finally get to do it. I'm, I'm excited. 
yes, Titanic is, you know, it wasn't the first James Cameron movie that came to my mind. I'm more of an Aliens, Terminator kind of person, but um, <laughs> definitely looking forward to you watching this for the first time, which is bizarre to me still. I mean, I don't think I knew that up until maybe like 30 seconds before we started this. And it's funny because I didn't, I don't even think I realized it until maybe last night. I was like, okay, this is a three hour movie. And the parts that I remember are really the parts after it sinks. Like another scene that comes to mind is when I remember being so confused and then so scared when I found this out, I was so confused because I was like, mom, why is the captain staying like why is he still in the yeah. ship while it's sinking and she's like you know the captain he, he just does he if if you know he just goes down with the ship and i'm like that is so scary <laughs> that is terrifying um and then i i realized when i bought it yesterday i was kind of like um this ship can't be sinking for three hours like what what is in the rest of this movie and i i went through it and i'm like i don't know any of this i have not seen a single bit of this so um I get the main story arcs, I get the main beats, but um, this will be an interesting experience to to really finally understand the entirety of this movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I Okay, so I think I saw, before I saw this movie, like in its entirety, uh, I saw, I remember seeing um, King Kong when I was younger, like Peter Jackson's King Kong. Which one was, was that? Um, um, this, was that with, with the monkey? Like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Naomi like, Watts. Jack Black. Jack Black and, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that movie is like an hour and a half on a boat that's like really boring. And yeah. then you finally <laughs> get to Skull Island and it's interesting. Yeah. Um, this movie like has that front part, but it's not boring. I enjoy that story too. It's still engaging. Yeah, I believe their relationship in this. And I love Leonardo DiCaprio. He's a fantastic actor. I do too. And I think, I guess one of my... I, Truly now, one of my first experiences with Kate Winslet was Contagion. I feel like I know her so much better in that movie. And seeing her, I don't know, what, two decades later, a decade later. Um, so when did Contagion come out? Earlier. Uh, like, I don't know, maybe five years ago? Oh, I don't Let's see. I'll I don't quite her. remember. So Contagion came out in 2011, and this came out in 1997, so... 14, so is that 14 years, years? Yeah. 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 So it's, and it's weird. And she looks the same. Like she doesn't yeah. age. She's gorgeous. Um, and I also didn't realize until she actually just made like a, um, because she was in contagion, she made like the small, uh, like hand washing seminar yeah. video yeah. thing that you sent me. Uh, I didn't realize that she had an accent, which was, you know, a first for me. So <laughs> I feel like so uncultured and so inexperienced and, uh, I'm very ready to change that. So, um, so yeah. I love them. I do love them both too. I love, I love Leo obviously. And I guess we'll see, you know, Kathy Bates as well. I have no idea who she is, but it's really sad that her career never became anything. Is that a joke? She just kind of went nowhere. No, I feel bad. I mean, like she's in this and then I've never seen her anything else. She had a lot of promise. She, I feel like she was in like almost all of the American horror story stuff. And like, yeah, like, yeah, but Stephen yeah, I just figured she'd have done. Are more. you being yes, sarcastic I'm joking. right now? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Normally you don't hold on for that long. <laughs> I can only just barely see like the space above your head via your camera. But I could tell that my joke went like way the right over it. it. Yeah. 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 Kathy Bates, she's a goddess. She will always be. She's goddamn Bobby Boucher's mother. Are you kidding? <laughs> she's like, I fucking love her. 
Ugh. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll that's what we'll end it on. Tell me, what did she win Fucking her Oscar Water for? Boy. What did she win her Oscar for? <sighs> A movie you refused to watch with me. Was it Misery? Yeah. Yeah. I will eventually. And that, that's a short book, so we'll, I'll, I will eventually. Just read it, read it. I'd love to read do it. <laughs> I'd love to do it for the podcast someday. Do it for the pod. Yeah, do it for the pod. I just realized you have these like nice Beats headphones on, and my I was so excited today because I found the um, little plastic like rubber parts that go on on my <laughs> headphones. <laughs> my little earbuds that I got that came with my phone. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, they're not gonna fall out of my ear the whole time. This is great. I will say this is not like me flexing my budget or anything. I found these in my parents' house. Apparently, they were bought for some purpose and then broke and couldn't be used for that purpose again. And but they work just fine. So I was like, I'm just gonna take these, and I've been using them so. Oh my God. Do you want to hear a really funny story before we end this in this about sure. beats? So my brother-in-law went to, Oh God, I don't even know where he went to somewhere in like, he was in the Navy and, um, he went somewhere in like the middle East near the Arabian Gulf. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And I remember when he came back, he brought me back these beats that were knockoff like beats that he found in a, I don't know, that he just found over there that were bootleg or whatever. They work like a freaking charm. I was proud of my bootleg beats. It was awesome. <laughs> what happened to them? Where are they? They just stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't last very long, but um, I was proud of them for a minute and a half. <laughs> Take two. Brittany, before you go, there's something I want you to have. God. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute. Isn't this... Yes, yes it is. But I thought the old lady dropped it in the ocean at the end. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oops, I... Oh my God, that's all I could think of the last like 15 minutes of that movie. So now I can appreciate how cheesy that specific Britney moment was. That was hard to watch. I think I didn't realize, because I know we we obviously have talked about this movie, you know, in the past and I know that you didn't want to watch it, but I think I assumed it was because it was like, Oh, it's this cheesy love story. But like, it's, I feel like it's more of a hereditary moment where it's just something that's like very devastating and it's really, really hard to watch. And I get it now. I think that when I was younger and just terrified and disturbed by the ending, Mm -hmm. the beginning and middle didn't mean as much to me as they do now. I think that the beginning and the middle of this movie are like really fun and enjoyable and interesting and have two fantastic actors and well several fantastic actors but two you know two fantastic leads. I don't feel dragged through this movie or drugged whatever the term is, but uh, I I feel more like I'm just riding along with them and it's exciting mm-hmm. and I'm interested and I'm like this is great and you almost for a split second forget that everybody dies <laughs> um, or most of them at least. But yeah. yeah, the last like, I mean, I guess it's like an hour, almost over an hour now of the movie. That's it's it's very hard to watch. I mean, I, I would equate it to something like. And these movies even hit harder just because I was alive when they happened. But something like United 93 or World Trade Center. Yeah. I think I was giving myself 
a pat on the back towards the end of the movie, like, wow, you didn't break down during this. Or like maybe I'm just desensitized to it now. Maybe I should be wondering why I'm not crying. But um, it's definitely hard to watch. Yeah, and like romance stories aren't really something that I gravitate towards. They're, I really haven't watched many of them. I can't really connect with a lot of them. And I think once I saw how things were transpiring in this movie, I was kind of like hesitant about it. I was like, oh, I'd like I clearly we can see where this is going. And yeah. Um, I know we mentioned several times that their relationship happened over like two days. That was like this very Romeo and Juliet moment. Yeah, uh, she she clearly had some demons beforehand for her to just be like, I'm going to throw my connections with everyone else in the entire world away yeah. to kind of follow this promise I made to somebody that I met 48 hours ago. And yeah, <laughs> it was a blissful 48 hours. Again, I've really enjoyed that section of the movie. I mean, I enjoy the whole thing, but like that's a fun, enjoyable, exciting section of the the film. Yeah, I will say any other movie, I feel like I'd be rolling my eyes. But this one, it actually made me kind of fall in love with them. And I was genuinely sad when when, you know, the ending happened. Yeah. Um, well, I was expecting it. But like, did you know that he that he died at the end? Yeah, that I did know. OK, because. Well, OK, so here's here's what I knew going into this movie. I knew that. The board was big enough for both of them, the door or whatever she was floating on. It clearly wasn't buoyant enough for both of them, though. I think that they would have sank it together. Everyone is always talking about, oh, that that door was, you know, big enough for both of them. Um, And I do know that the whole um, everyone jokes about how she says, I'll never let go as soon as she, you know, literally lets go of him. But watching it in context now, I get it. I, I appreciate it. And there was a moment where he was trying to get on and it kind of flips over. And you can see it in his face. Like this was clearly intentional. Like the camera focuses just on him. He has this moment of realization where he's like, I cannot do this. I cannot get on this board. Like this is me sacrificing myself for her. And that hit me hard. That, that was, um, that was hard to watch. Um, and then like the whole, that whole scene, you're like, Oh, you know, I'll take turns. But like, I really don't think that Jack would let her get into the water. Like clearly, clearly he, his one focus was to make sure that she stayed alive. You're, you're so right. I mean, I think that uh, I, the end of the movie is like the, the thing that does take me out of it a little bit is that like, fuck you, Rose. Like, yeah, she, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but you're right. She makes several decisions in this movie that I really don't agree with. I'm not the biggest fan of Rose as a character. Um, but yeah, they, like for her to not even offer or anything, like it's, it's, I, I get it. But I do, I, like, I understand where you're coming from, where it's like Jack wouldn't have let her. Yeah. <laughs> All that, you know what I was thinking about? Like the luckiest person in this movie is the people that lost their, their tickets, um, that lo- <laughs> to Jack in that poker game <laughs> at the beginning. Oh they're like, what yeah. the boat sank? What? <laughs> when they hear about it later. <laughs> Oh man, that's no, nuts. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, I did find myself asking almost pretty constantly in the movie, uh, you know, was that real? Like, I wonder if this was real. Like, what aspects of this movie were based in reality? And like you said, I'm sure I'm gonna find a million resources and references to kind of totally. pinpoint what was right and wrong in the movie. Uh, so that'll be fun. Totally. Um, Speaking of realism, day shots in this film of the boat, like in the daytime oh for God. 1997 CGI, very yeah. impressive. Yep. And um, 
I mean, uh, we're watching it on computers, but I believed it. Yeah, there yeah. was a bit of like suspension of disbelief, but like, yeah, it, I believe that. At nighttime, it gets a little bit more wonky. I'm not exactly sure why. Like you figure nighttime would be easier, but like with the rushing water, I could tell that that's not real. It looked almost like they utilized like matte paintings in some of the scenes during the daytime that maybe they couldn't at night. Mm, but yeah. regardless, I think that the night shot like towards the end, the cinematography of just being in the water with all those dead bodies lit only by starlight. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really beautiful. And there was this one shot we pulled back and I even mentioned it. They pull back and then you just see that one though, like the little boat in this giant black ocean. Yeah. Just being swallowed. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The cinematography is absolutely breathtaking in this movie. Which, I mean, it's not a surprise for, you know, considering the director. Yeah. As if I needed another reason to never want to get on a boat. (laughs) It's good that we did this for two reasons. I think for a long time we had like a list of movies that we were going to do. And I think up until recently we kind of were unsure of what to do next. And I was like, well, I know we wanted to do Titanic at some point. And like, why don't you ask me like, oh, what movie do you want to do next? I was like, let's just, you know, get Titanic out of the way. So boy, am I glad that we did that for two reasons. One, it sank. I don't know how many years. Would it be like sinking of the arms? Yeah. April 15th, 1912. So it is currently April 7th. And if we play our cards right, we could release this possibly on the anniversary of it sinking. Yeah, um, to commemorate be, yeah, <laughs> this horrible tragedy, which seems like pretty morbid. That's, uh, now that I say it out loud, it does seem kind of weird. But it's like not on someone's birthday or like <laughs> the anniversary of a movie coming out. No, we are marking our calendars by the real tragedy. <laughs> it it seems it seems I don't know fitting. I don't know. Anyway, um, but the second reason being like how appropriate um considering that we are all stuck inside right now and we are all vastly unprepared for this um unexpected tragedy uh just because you know we you think we're above it and it's never going to happen this you know this country's unsinkable and yeah um and it just it how appropriate also how it applies to the social and class structure hell yes Absolutely. They literally are like, okay, women and children, but wait, hold on. Let the first class people go and yeah. then the women and children. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. Awful, awful, awful. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I thought probably would wreck me and I'm surprised it didn't as much. I had to turn it off before Celine Dion started singing at the end. Yeah. So I can't listen to this. I will say though, like uh, this is one of the most successfully scored movies that I've ever seen. In my opinion, I know that that riff, like, you know, exactly the riff that I'm talking about. They got their money out of that song. They used it constantly. And I feel like if if it were any other movie, I'd feel like, okay, I'm I'm done with this. Like, can we bring something else? But I, every single time it came on, I've, I felt it like it was, it was, it added to every single scene that it was in. It was beautiful every single time. For me, it just reminded me of what's to come. And I couldn't remember if there was ever a point in the movie or if it's just in the music video to this song that like you actually hear the lyrics, thankfully you don't. Cause I'd have been a mess. Yeah. Cause I, again, I can't listen to the lyrics of this song. It's like <laughs> too much, but um, I think, yeah, every single time it just kind of put me back in, Oh shit. I yeah. kind of do remember what happens at the end of this film. 
<laughs> even though it really was easy to kind of get lost in the happiness of like the middle portion of this film. Well, that's what made the riff so successful is because you're in this, you're in this super happy, like you're in this relationship with these two people and they're in love and you're falling in love with them. And then that little reminder says, this isn't going to last. So like, enjoy it while you have it yeah. kind of thing. And, um, and I also loved, I think I brought this up during the movie was when, um, the, it is sinking and, um, the cameras are tilted and it, it made me feel like off balance yep. and just the cinematography in this was so brilliant. And, Oh, this is like, I'm sorry that it took me this long to watch this movie, but I'm also glad that I saw it at a time in my life where I am very critical about movies. Cause I don't yeah. think I would have had the same respect for it. Had I seen this, you know, four years ago, you can enjoy it more yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say that this movie doesn't get enough credit because it, you know, won Oscars <laughs> and made a bunch of money and all that stuff. But I think with a lot of James Cameron films, um, it became very popular, especially after Avatar, to like hate on him and hate on his films. And I think people really just should just watch. I mean, again, not a huge fan of Avatar, but <laughs> he's a really good filmmaker who – it's crazy to say I don't think he gets enough credit. But like from modern <laughs> audiences, people sleep on him. So I think um, – I, I refuse to watch these movies. I don't – I really don't like these movies, but the Alien movies um, – forgive me for not really understanding the lineage and like the dates that these came out, but this may be a very stupid question. I suppose I'll forgive you. <laughs> um, this may be a stupid question, but has he released anything since avatar? What else is he? No, made? really? Okay. Nope. It was avatar. And then he started working on avatar two and three and four. Gotcha. Uh, great movie. Can't wait to dive into this one. <laughs> Fuck off. Take three. Hey everybody, it's Easter. Happy Easter, Nicholas. Happy Easter, Jordan. We recorded this on Easter. For Jesus. Okay, so Titanic. <laughs> if you did a good amount of research, this might be a long episode. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It was so hard to find movie-specific things, and I tried my best not to dive too deep into... Uh... Such a loser. No, I tried that. I think take two, and I'm not. I don't want to do that. Just again. keep going. Keep trying um, it. Keep trying it. Say it again. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I try not to dive too deep into like actual Titanic uh, facts. I tried to stick to the movie, but there are some facts that I couldn't ignore, and I do want to bring up. No, that's um, cool. I like that type of stuff. I'm interested. I was really excited to hear what you came up with. Like this is one of the cool. ones I normally am like ready to tune you out, but I'm going to actually listen to this episode. This movie. Cost $200 million. Damn. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. But um, it was only supposed to cost 120 ish I think. And it wound up ballooning to like 190 in between 190 and $200 million. Plus, you know, advertising and all that kind of stuff. But it was an expensive movie. It was like the most expensive movie at that time. This movie had a $28 million opening weekend. Okay. It wound up. After two re-releases, it now has made over $2.2 billion. That is over 75 times its first weekend gross. Jeez. 75 times. I did the math. Okay. 
like most movies nowadays have an opening weekend and then depreciate anywhere from like 40 to 70 percent if you have like a really high opening weekend sometimes like with superhero movies you know you wind up being in the 60s and things and if, if you have a moderate opening you're hoping for a, a smaller drop right this movie didn't have a drop bigger than 40% until September of 1998. It opened in December of 1997. Oh, my God. So almost a whole year, it didn't have a bigger than 40% drop. That's crazy. It spent 15 weeks at number one at the domestic box office. God. Has that happened for any other movie? It's one week less than the record holder. And guess what that movie is? I, like, I want to say Endgame. No, no, no. It's uh, so the the market is much more competitive now, and I will give you a clue. It was made by another like really, really highly respected filmmaker, and it is smaller science fictiony kind of movie. Is it? So it wouldn't be Star Wars. No. Um, I really don't but know. Boy, is, is it popular. Spielberg. Yep. Um, E.T. Yep. Really? Good job. Good guess. That was awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I'm impressed. And I was just impressed with E.T. too. That was awesome. What, um, with the movie E.T.? Well, just the fact that it spent 16 weeks at number one, you know? That movie is terrifying. We should do that for the podcast. You today. know what? I honestly, that's one of the ones I know I've seen it, but I don't remember it. I think that was probably one that I watched as a kid because maybe it was like pitched as a kid movie to me. But yeah, I was scared, so I didn't pay attention to it. Yeah, it's traumatizing. But anyway, go on. A lot of you probably know this, but Titanic was the first film to reach the $1 billion mark. It became the highest grossing film of all time, and it had that title until James Cameron beat it with Avatar in 2010. (laughs) Seeing this movie finally, it, it makes me want to see it in theaters. I'm sure that there are theaters that you could seek out pretty much all over the place, especially where you live. I don't want to like give your location out, but you live <laughs> in a place which I'm sure a bunch of indie theaters would be looking for things to show. And Oscar movies are always a, you know, almost a sure bet because people, it, well, some Oscar movies are, not, not <laughs> some of You know, there was a time where Oscar movies, like the trend was big blockbusters some it seems like lately uh, there it's a lot of like the smaller indie stuff but um there was a time where it was a little bit different that was like totally an accidental segue but i can talk about their oscars let's do it let's do it because i know you mentioned i don't know if you edited it out but i know at one point you said something like i wonder what leo lost this oscar to so yo curious to know this is crazy to me but um we'll, we'll go through a lot of these things aren't crazy but some things are Okay, this movie was nominated for 14 Oscars, which is the most any movie has ever been nominated for, and it's tied with two other films, All About Eve, which came out in 1950, and that was the only one that had existed yet, and then La La Land came in 2016 and also got nominated for 14 Oscars. Really? Yeah. Out of those three, the other two only won six. Titanic won 11 of them, and I will tell you the 11. That makes me feel better. (laughs) Yeah. So it won Best Picture. James Cameron got that award with John Landau. Then Best Director, James Cameron won that as well. And this is a funny story. Um, When he goes up and accepts his Oscar speech, he says, you know, he's like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a great time. And he, you know, he thanks some people and he thanks his cast. And it seems so innocent. But he goes, I'm the king of the world. And people got mad at that. 
Oh my god, it's he's quoting. It's a his quote movie, for your movie, the, yeah. And it's like you feel like the king of the world. You just won the the top honor in your craft. Yeah. Best actress was nominated. She did not win. Was Kate Winslet? And I know you were going to ask me, so I wrote this down. She lost <laughs> to Helen Hunt in As Good as It Gets. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's always a bummer when I ask that question and then I don't know like the reference for the answer. But anyway, continue. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Best Supporting Actress was Gloria Stewart, who was the older version of Rose. And she was just nominated as well. And I know you were going to ask me (laughs) who (laughs) who she lost to. And Kim Basinger for L.A. Confidential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. Like, I haven't haven't seen L.A. Confidential either. Um, (laughs) It won Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, and I totally understand how it won all of those. Mm -hmm. It did not win Best Makeup. You know what's funny? It lost to Men in Black. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. That's It's interesting you bring that up because a lot of the research that I found, the makeup in, like, in the the movie was mm -hmm. not representative of the makeup that – was around during that time period. Like apparently high class women in that time period wore very little makeup. Um, oh wow. Okay. I don't know if that contributes to its loss. Or yeah, I not, mean it, but, uh, it did not win. So that's <laughs> I understand that. Okay. Well uh it did win best original score oh, for good. James Horner. God um, I, yeah. Researching yeah. this movie and rediscovering that soundtrack is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It is yeah. so amazing. And obviously it won best original song. Um, okay <laughs> for my heart will go on of course it won yeah. best sound mixing sound editing and visual effects but it was not even nominated for best actor <gasps> leo who had been an oscar nominee he got nominated for what's eating gilbert grape i think jack is the best character in the movie yeah i think i'd agree with that yeah i was i was very surprised that's wild yeah that's crazy I, Genuinely thought that that was one of his nominations, and that is not. So I'm going to go into some of the characters that were and were not based off of real people that were on the Titanic. Obviously, Rose and Jack were not based on people on the Titanic. I believe Rose was based off someone named Beatrice, uh, according to the director. I don't know that she was on the Titanic, but it was he he pulled inspiration from her. I'll link that article uh, in the description. But the captain is obviously real. And he really went down with the ship? He did. He really went down with the ship. A lot of people were, weren't really sure what actually happened with him. They know that he did die, but how he died, it's really kind of unclear. There were some accounts that said that he was um, out helping people get into the lifeboats in the water. Uh, there are some people that said that he shot himself that they saw him shoot himself we don't we don't really know and that's a lot of the information that i found actually with this research because they're really all the accounts are from the people who survived it and that's really just you know it's all the stories that come from them and there's a lot of um differing stories there and there's even an article that i found that said that he bought the ship some time because by closing himself into his chamber and like water sealing it it helped reduce the sink rate or something. I don't really know. There's just, there's so many theories out there surrounding that, but long story short, yes, there was a captain of the Titanic. (laughs) Um, He was a victim of the accident though. Gotcha. Molly, who is Kathy Bates character. She is a real person. Oh, cool. Yeah. Her name is Margaret Brown. It was in the movie that she had the nickname unsinkable Molly Brown, uh, but that actually didn't get coined until after 
after she died, actually, which was in 1932, so about 20 years later. Well, they, remember that they said history would go on to remember her as unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh, is like, that what I, She specifically says, like, history would remember her as that nickname. So yeah. that's even yeah. factual. Cool. Cool, yeah. And she she actually – she died of a brain tumor in 1932. Oh, cool. um, but she was one of their survivors. She was one of the only people who kind of forced – their boat to go back and try and find survivors. Uh, and after, you know, she was out of the water and kind of recovered, she used a lot of her fame and resources to sort of help, um, the survivors and the whole situation. So I love um, that he used that character. Yeah. Like absolutely. that James Cameron was like, Oh, I'm going to take her. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's really cool. That's and very, I very think, cool. I think Kathy Bates did an incredible job with her too. So that was, that was really, really good. One of the saddest things about the Titanic is people did bring their pets um, and a lot did not make it out, but there Aww. were several people who stayed behind, like the older couple that was shown. Oh yeah. Um, and there was one account where a woman was kind of found like holding a dog, which was like, she stayed with her dog, which is very, Aww. very sweet and heartbreaking. Um, but anyway, uh, Victor Garber's character was also real and he did, he designed die. the ship, right? Yes. He, he died on the Titanic. There were accounts saying that his last moments seen were him just kind of looking at a painting in one of the ballrooms and he was just kind of accepting. That's so cool. That's actually yep. what happens. Yep. Yep. Um, and like, I will link all of these resources in, uh, below, but like I said, there's a lot of different accounts about what happens. So I don't know if this is completely true, but I will link all of my references just in case you want to check them out as well. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Also, uh, Jonathan Hyde, his character was real, but he survived and he died of cerebral thrombosis in 1937. Oh, wow. uh, Eric, Eric Braden was based off of uh, a very, he was actually one of the wealthiest people on earth, if not the wealthiest person on earth. He played uh, the character for John Jacob Astor. Uh, he is believed to have died when the first like giant funnel thing collapsed, which actually did happen. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, Jack and Rose were completely made up, um, as were Rose's family and Jack's friends, like Fabrizio and Tommy. Those were not real people. However, uh, there was a, it was later found that there was a Jay Dawson that was on the ship that, <laughs> that died on the ship. Yeah. Uh, but I believe it was like Joseph Dawson. Um, and he was one of the, uh, I guess, uh, coal people. Like for someone that worked down in the engine room. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. One of those, one of the um, coal people, one of the coal people. <laughs> I'm going to talk about one character that wasn't in the movie that I feel like should have been. Uh, I was going to bring this up later, but I'm going to talk about Violet Jessup. Do you know who Violet Jessup is? Um, Was she on the Titanic? She was on the Titanic. Oh, my God. Yeah, believe it or not. Um, But let's rewind a little bit. Uh, Violet Jessup, she was a nurse in the early 1900s, and she boarded a ship called the RMS Olympic. It was uh, made by the same company that made the Titanic. I think it's like White Star or White Lines, White Star Lines, White... Uh, I don't quite remember, but uh, basically made by the same good enough same people, uh, and it collided with a British warship. There were no fatalities on this ship, however, it was pretty beat up, but it was able to make it back to port. And and Violet Jessup was was on this ship. All right, fast forward maybe like half a year later. So that was in 1911. It is now April of 1912. She's 24 years old, and she boards the Titanic. 
and you know what happens to the Titanic. What? <laughs> um, she did survive, and her instructions, I think she was uh, a stewardess, and she was told very shortly after the impact to report up to the captain or whoever was in charge at that point. Um, and her instructions were to show non-English speakers how to, like, board and, and like, get on the lifeboats boats and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and she was also a nurse, so I'm sure she helped in that regard as well. During this whole crazy transition of trying to get everyone off the boat, she was handed a baby by one of the officers. And the next day on the Carpathia, which is the boat that, like, saved them at the end where everyone was uh-huh. on, someone grabbed the baby from her. And sort of ran off with it without saying a word or anything. So that was interesting. Oh, my God. Now, fast forward four more years, and she's aboard the Olympic and Titanic's new sister, the HMHS Britannic. Have you heard of the Britannic? Yes. Why on earth? Why She survived two shipwrecks, and she's going to... She survived three. If you don't know anything about the Britannic... It is. So I I believe all three of these ships, they were all made by the same company, but I believe all three of these ships were the biggest ships that ever existed at that time. Um, And so she boarded the Britannic and during the war, it was converted into a hospital ship. And that's how she like she worked as a nurse on this um, this warship. And a mysterious explosion went off on the ship, which caused it to sink as well. Uh, she survived it. Somebody's trying to kill her ass. (laughs) Or, so I think one of the videos that I saw was like, she's either the luckiest or unluckiest people that's ever existed. Um, But also like the fact that you would trust, I don't know, like three shipwrecks from the same company that just is kind of crazy. The second, uh, the Britannic only had, I believe, 30 fatalities and there were um, like a thousand people that survived. So they were much more prepared for this this time. Um, And it was I read somewhere that they did have the correct amount of lifeboats on the ship. So they on, learned on they the new one, not on the Titanic. Correct. That was correct. real. Were, the Titanic really didn't have that many. That's nuts. Correct. Yeah. It's it, And it was literally because um, there, it was just, they took up too much room and it wasn't giving people enough room to like roam around and see the ocean. That's and, so ridiculous. I think that the reason that they wouldn't make a movie about this woman is because that's ridiculous. Like <laughs> she should be the unsinkable Violet Jessup. Yeah. Why would you get back on the – I feel like by the second time, they'd be like, girl, <laughs> I'm done with this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, holy shit, this girl is insane. <laughs> really lucky though. But yeah. yeah. I mean I guess you know you got to do what you got to do. What a very, very interesting real-life story. I want to talk a little bit about this behind-the-scenes kind of documentary, kind of like it looked like a bunch of featurettes mashed together. But I found it on YouTube, and I'll definitely link it. But if, first of all, if you were interested in this film, I would highly recommend it. And I will definitely, again, include it down below. It's like an hour long, but it's really interesting and like really cool the way that they pulled this movie off. I won't spoil it because I really can't. It's like an hour long. But um, here are some things that I thought that were amazing. I mean, it's pretty much all amazing, but these are some, like, ones I just want to focus on. They really did go down to the bottom of the ocean yep. to film some of those underwater scenes. Like I read that as well. There were points where they had to splice it together with, you know, some tank shots and utilize some special effects. But they really went down there, which, I mean, I guess makes sense because knowing what I know now, like, James Cameron's made – documentaries about going down there another thing is the reason we get the animated demonstration of what happens to the titanic early on in the film 
Do you remember that? Like when they yeah. are, you know, in the modern day section and they kind of like visually demonstrate it on the computer screen. Yeah. The reason that we get that is so that they did not have to explain the logistics of what was happening to the boat as it was actually sinking, which makes sense because I remember thinking back to that visualization and like when they first struck the, the iceberg mm-hmm. and I was like, they're acting like everything's okay. And I'm like, hold on. Everything is not okay. Like <laughs> I, I can, I can remember visualizing what actually what happened, like underneath the water, y'all's boat is getting fucked up. So <laughs> James Cameron even commented, I think it was funny. He was like, You know, we're already selling tickets to a movie where you know the ending of the film. You know the boat sinks. And now, you know, maybe 30 or 40 minutes into the film, we've got uh, a visualization that actually shows you what happens at the very end of the film. And how wild that it's like one of the most successful movies of history. Like that's that's really crazy to me. James Cameron just knows. And that's why I'm not counting out Avatar 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and (laughs) 8. So one last thing is they built the interior scenes for the scenes that happened before it starts sinking. So like they were all on level ground. So when it came to actually tilt the rooms, they had the actors lean and they show a scene of that Victor Garber scene where he's just having to lean. And then they took all like the glasses and stuff and replaced them with props that um, that had instead of like liquid, they had like gel in them and they could make it look like it was tilting as well like the the really? water would be in it or you know the, like the wine or whatever it was would be at an angle as well and they just tilted the camera so they didn't actually have to tilt the set i don't even think that they wow. could because they built those sets um straight up you know hmm. i thought that was really interesting and then they used like strings to pull things off the uh shelves and stuff yeah 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 to make it look like it was falling guys Watch this documentary. I mean, again, I think it's just like a mashup of featurettes, but they they show you how they do the scene where they flood the room with the with the double staircases. Mm-hmm. Like just watching them do that. If you were at all interested in this movie, not not to mention if you're at all interested in like filmmaking, this is just like brilliant. This is bravery on James Cameron's <laughs> part. This is just being brave and being like, this is how we're going to get this shot. Like I don't care how crazy of an idea this is and it's just practical you know what i mean a lot of these movies nowadays if they had to flood something or if they had to do something on this grand of scale so much of it would be cgi and i'm not going to discounting that this movie does use utilize cgi in parts but there are so much of this film that is practical like they actually have a boat they built a boat like yeah. that, what people were falling off of and that were lowering in on lifeboats and people were jumping into the water. They built a big cylinder thing that falls yeah, and it kills people. Mm-hmm. The way to make your movie timeless is to fill it with effects that will always look real because they are real. Yeah. You know? And, and so, yes, this movie does have some special effects that are wonky. There is weird face manipulation in the, the scene where Jack and Rose are running <laughs> down the, the hallway. And I'm just like, whoa, that's not them. But um, this is a movie that I think is definitely going to hold up at least during the sinking scenes. <laughs> Watch this fucking documentary, guys. That's all I'll say. I Yeah, that's, you've got my curiosity peaked for sure. Yeah, it's really cool. There's a lot of things I'm leaving out and we can talk about it after. But like uh, I because I don't, again, want to spoil things. But it's just really it's not all the technical stuff. There's a lot of like stuff with the actors. It was just really interesting. 
Um, I just have more facts about, I guess, what was real and what was not, what was fabrication in the movie. There was actually a band that played as the ship sank. There were gates that separated the third class passengers from the rest of the ship, but it wasn't to sort of prevent them from taking over the lifeboats. It wasn't really the way it was portrayed in the movie. The reason that they were separated is because they wanted to keep them from transmitting diseases and infections to anyone else on the ship. And they did this because it saved time when the ship arrived in New York, considering only the third class passengers were the ones who were required to get health inspections as they left the ship. And I think there was a point when I think in the beginning they were getting tested for something like, yeah, they were checking their hair and stuff. And then, and and Jack even got on after lying to the guy and saying, Oh yeah, of course I was health inspected. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, However, like there, it was a majority of the first class citizens that, that made it out of this tragedy alive. Uh, Only a quarter of the third class passengers survived the, the shipwreck. Um, Officer Murdoch, who was the um, the guy that ushering people onto the boats, and yeah. he was the one that ultimately put the gun to his head and killed himself. He didn't actually commit suicide, and it upset a lot of his family. I'm sure, and his hometown. Yeah, uh, and there was ev- so there was evidence that an officer did kill himself, uh, but it's not certain that it was Murdoch. And they also didn't like how he was shown accepting a bribe. And I, I understand why James Cameron did it. I think it was more to show Cal's character than it was uh, to show, you know, Murdoch's. But the studio executives actually flew out to his hometown and his family to issue an apology. And they um, gave a $8,500 donation to his memorial fund. So I thought that was very, very sweet. Yeah, I guess so. You're going to do something like that and change someone's character in a negative way. It would have been really easy for him to just name that person something different, you know? I agree. Um, the couple that were lying in their bed together, that was true. It was based off of a real couple. Uh, it was a an older couple, and I think the husband was ushering her to the lifeboat, but she was like, I'm not going anywhere without you. If you can't go, I'm not going and they sacrificed their spots for the lifeboat, so that was very, very awesome as well. Uh, not that they died, but it was awesome that they, you know, were generous enough to to give up their seats. I really don't like saying this one because I know it's a part that you uh, you had a physical reaction to this when you were watching it. But the scene when the lights went out, ugh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm okay, but like, God, that's so. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> it is haunting. It's 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 very very haunting. But apparently, the lights stayed on until the uh, the ship was completely submerged. They didn't they didn't turn off until it was all the way underwater. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was mentioned in the movie, but uh, only two of the sixteen lifeboats went back to try and find survivors, and they only found six. I believe they recovered more people, more survivors than six, but I think a majority of them died on the lifeboats just from hypothermia and from how cold it was outside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I read that in the water, it is likely people only had anywhere from like several minutes to an hour to actually survive. And contrary to popular belief, like swimming or flailing to try and keep your body moving to keep you warm would actually have made you lose heat 35 to 50% faster, which is terrifying. Yeah, it was if you were in the water. So I think like after a certain temperature, your body kind of just goes unconscious. So I'm sure it was yeah, 
I don't. I feel weird talking about this. Uh, it, that is kind of dark. There was stuff that I saw that said that the amount of traveling and moving that they did in that water, they probably would have died much much sooner than they did. Well, no, I know I know Rose survived, but uh, the the amount of time that they were in that water was far far too long. If it was accurate to what actually happened. Gotcha. The exact way that the ship went down, I know we just we talked about the simulation that was shown in the beginning. Uh, it was a little bit different. I think it was. Uh, dramatized for the movie i don't think it went completely like 90 degrees up before it sank uh and there's you know simulations and stuff you can find online i'll link them below as well that you can see um, what actually happened it is possible that the iceberg was not the only cause of the ship sinking apparently there was a coal fire that might have damaged the structure a little bit and i think it was a combination of a bunch of stuff there was reports that uh the it was like one of the sub captains or like co-captains or something that was supposed to be on the ship but at last minute he i don't know if he had something else to do but he was not on the ship for some reason and the binoculars for the people that were up on the on the pole that were supposed to be like looking out yeah they were in his room and they were locked up so they didn't have access to they, that they acknowledge that they acknowledge that they? they don't have monoculars yeah I missed, I guess I must have missed that, but um, the water was like, like, I don't want to say unnaturally calm, but it was calmer than usual, which means there wasn't a lot of waves that were hitting up against the iceberg to kind of draw attention to it. So that was also something that, you know, contributed to them not seeing it in time. So it was a lot of like, it was a freak accident. And to make that situation worse, um, there was actually a ship that was very close by that could have, that actually would have seen the distress signals that they were sending up. But they did nothing. And they said that they would have recovered so many more uh, victims if they had done something, but they didn't. It was the SS Californian. It was like very close by. Uh, they saw and acknowledged the uh, the fireworks and just did nothing. And they just kind of passed them. So That is ridiculous. Uh, did you know that James Cameron actually made all of Jack's artwork? And it's actually James Cameron's hand that you see drawing Rose. That is really cool. Yeah. Even the stuff that like uh, that Rose is flipping through. That was all James Cameron's Aww. artwork. That's awesome. There were actually several celebrities at the time that were supposed to be aboard the ship. And those included Milton Hershey, J.P. Morgan, and the inventor of the Telegraph. But all three of them could not make it for some reason or another, uh, luckily for them. Yeah. Uh, apparently only four of the entire group of first class women on board actually died. Wow. Only four. Also, you're not actually going to find any of the bodies that were on board in the wreckage. The remains probably would have been either like dissolved or eroded by the salt water of the ocean. I did read somewhere, however, that uh, what does remain is lots and lots and lots of shoes. Like there's a lot of shoes, which kind of is haunting to think about. And right now, apparently they're working on setting up a tour where you are actually, you'd be able to visit the wreckage underwater. Like you'd go into a submarine and you'd go visit it. Uh, it would cost, I think it said like a hundred thousand dollars for a ticket, but uh, and the date said somewhere around 2019, 2020. I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but uh, apparently the remains of the wreck will disappear in about 10 years. So around like 2030, there probably won't be anything left of the Titanic, which I thought was really, really interesting. I wonder if there are efforts to try to bring a lot of it up, you know, before it gets worn away by the water. You know what I mean? Like I would want to try to preserve as much of that as possible. True, true. I think it's a matter of 
finding the money to do that. I mean, you've seen what it takes just to get down there just to film stuff. Yeah. Um, and I do know that they've recovered some of the valuables, like the, the money that was found in there was still very much intact. Uh, and it's, you know, it sells for a lot of money right now. In the heart of um, the ocean? Yeah, that wasn't real. Well, that's, that's back down there. Oh, it's not real? <laughs> it's not real. Fuck a duck. Yep, the jewel is not real. It's fabricated. Adjusted for inflation, a ticket to board the Titanic today, a first-class ticket would cost around $50,000. Whoa. Yeah. And fake news is not something new. Uh, a lot of the media actually covered up this accident after it happened. Uh, there were articles and newspapers going out saying that there was no casualties. There were saying that it is still up and running and it is slowly wake- making its way to uh, New York. It is still like coming. It's still on its way. Yeah. And uh, it shook up a lot of people because people's families were on this ship. And it was like when they find out that uh, actually, <laughs> you know, two thirds didn't make it. That's it was pretty devastating. So, yeah. All right, so if, if you're good, I want to uh, talk a little bit about James Cameron. Is that cool? Okay. Mm-hmm. He is undoubtedly like one of the most successful filmmakers to ever live, not even just when it comes to money. Like the quality of his films are pretty iconic. Over his 42-year career so far, he's only truly directed seven feature narrative films. There are, you know, we've got some documentaries and um, – he got fired off of his first job uh, at Piranha 2 after like 10 days. Why? Um, Do you know why? No, he didn't say exactly why. He does claim that it's the best flying Piranha movie ever made. <laughs> he is credited as the director, but um, he said he got fired after 10 days. So, But the seven uh, feature narrative films that he actually has directed are The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, and Avatar. Just those movies alone <laughs> have made over $6 billion worldwide. Jeez. That is crazy when you think about it. Especially, like, some of these movies are old, you know? Uh, he's actually, this is really cool, he's he's very focused on a lot of the visual effects aspects of it. He's, ha- yeah. And that's clear. Under, totally understandable and very clear. Uh, he's had five of his films win the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. Aliens won it. The Abyss won it. Terminator 2 won it. Titanic won it. And Avatar won it. Nice. Yeah. Have you seen all seven of these movies? I have. Have you? Yeah. Avatar is the worst. And my favorite is either Aliens or True Lies. True Lies has Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And I love it. It is such a good movie. Is there a part in that where she's like dancing for some guy? Yeah. In the bedroom. I feel like I've only seen that scene of that movie. Yeah, she's think, really cool. She's a, yeah, I remember, she's a great I remember that scene being like semi-funny. Um, and I do, I want to see that. I want to see that movie. It's really hard to find that movie for uh, for some reason. It's like not available to buy digitally, or at least it wasn't really? the last time I checked. Yeah. Um, but if we can find it, I would love to watch that with you. I would watch any of these movies with you. Like even The Abyss is probably the, the least like highly regarded other than maybe Avatar, but Avatar made so much money, you know, who cares what people think about it. But um, Abyss is probably like the least popular, um, but that's really cool too. Mm-hmm. So I did go to film school with the intent of becoming a filmmaker. Like that is what I want to do. I want to m- tell stories in whatever way I can. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, in Hollywood or whatever, but like I just want to be able to tell 
stories visually. That's like my passion, right? And mm-hmm. I understand that certain people feel that going to film school is almost a necessity just because you build relationships and you get knowledge that you might not be able to access. However, there are a lot of filmmakers that are like iconic that didn't go to film school. And I get that they're they're probably the exception to the rule, you know, that it is good to have a, a backing in education for whatever you're going to do. But um, clearly is not always necessary because he did not go to film school. He was a truck driver wow. and he had an interest in film. And he says that after seeing Star Wars, the first Star Wars, he just quit his job to pursue film. And um, I saw in an interview with Howard Stern where he talks about how he would drive down. He lived in California. He would drive down to USC. And on the weekends, he would Xerox published dissertations on like film stocks, optical printing and all that stuff and just make these big binders full of info. And he says that he pretty much, you know, was able to create his own college education just by uh, going in and Xeroxing a bunch of shit from a library. You know, and USC is a very, very popular, uh, highly regarded film school. And he just took a bunch of their information and and read it and learned. And I mean, clearly it's worked for him. Yeah. That is so cool. In that same Stern interview, he claims to have made no money off of Titanic. He says because they went over budget, he felt the need to actually give the studio back his director's fee. Because, again, I said, you know, 120 million was what they had pitched to them and it wound up costing close to 200. So he mm-hmm. didn't want them to think that he had, you know, like scammed them or anything like that. So he gave back his director's fee and he also alludes to the fact that he doesn't have any back end or participation either. So basically wow. when that movie makes money, he doesn't. And, you know, he even jokes and is like, I'm not poor. Like I'm okay, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but I'm not going to get rich off of this particular film. But like, luckily, you know, he made Avatar and he's worth like $700 million now. So I was going to say, I would hope that he didn't make the same mistake with, you know, his next movie. But um, God, that's crazy. For a director to spend as much time as he does crafting his films, like you can tell he just truly loves the art form and wants to push it forward. A lot of his movies in the beginning weren't so far drawn apart, like three or four years maybe in some cases. But then, you know, from 1997 uh, and then for Avatar to come out like well over a decade later. I mean, yeah, he made some documentaries in, in between, but like to to take that time to make sure that craft is right and then to have taken so much time to do Avatar, like he's got to know that people are like, this better be fucking good that we've waited yeah. this long because <laughs> you've been announcing it for years. I mean, the, mm. the Avatar 2 was supposed to come out in like 2015. Like I've seen articles where it's like, uh, looks like Avatar is going to miss its release date in 2015. Jeez. You know, so I, I have faith in him. I think he is a remarkably talented director, but also one that is vitally well-versed in what the audience wants to see and what grabs them. I am now a titanic fan and a uh james cameron fan as well and that was two things that i really didn't know a lot about before doing this so i'm very glad that we did it i will be listening to the soundtrack a lot more just because it <laughs> it's honestly one of the most because i had to revisit some of the scenes for my research just to kind of like verify some things yeah 
I'll link this video in the description, but it was just a video explaining how James Horner kind of did a lot of the scenes, uh, more specifically the one where it's Jack and Rose and they're on the, the front of the ship with their arms spread out and how he sort of manipulated the composition to fit the cuts in the scene rather than the, the moments in the scene. And it kind of made, it's something that I didn't even notice, but when it was pointed out in front of me, I was like, that is truly fascinating. Um, and I, like, I, I just, I want to keep listening to it. It's one of the most beautiful, beautiful scores I've ever heard. And I don't know if it's just something like, maybe I did see this movie when I was younger and I blocked it out and it's just bringing back nostalgia for me, but, uh, it's just, it's, it's too beautiful not to just drown yourself in. So music can, um, can certainly do that. Make another, um, diving joke. <laughs> Let's dive into this theory that I found, uh, on Reddit because Reddit is all about conspiracy theories. And this is one that I thought was interesting. I don't know if I believe it or not, but, uh, there is the theory that Jack actually died when, you know, the ship went under and the current kind of took him and he's like, you got to swim up or something. Yeah. Um, and they kind of lose track of each other. And then he comes back uh-huh. and there's there's discussion that that's the moment that he died. And the rest of the movie is her kind of like fever dream delirium as she's in this like frozen body of water. Uh, there's things that like how how did he spot her out of the thousands of people that were in that water? They just kind of miraculously joined back up. Yeah. Um, and then he was saying things like you're going to grow old, you're going to, you know, die in a in a warm bed and you're going to have a bunch of babies and you know that kind of thing and so it's sort of like that would explain why he doesn't get on the door with her it's true yeah yeah, yeah. That and why he kind of leaves the moment like right around the moment that she notices that the boat's coming she back can for get her sa- yeah she can get to yep. safety exactly exactly it's really cool yeah uh, I don't like to think of it that way. I like to think that they kind of had that moment. I think the direction of, like I said in the last take about Jack kind of realizing that he wasn't going to fit and realizing that he was going to sacrifice himself for her. I really love that's. I never did. I think that, that, <laughs> that this kind of like romance I, I would enjoy. I'm normally very, you guys might not know Jordan. He has no soul. So like this is <laughs> this, we have penetrated his heart that's, no, no, no. He is one of the most compassionate. You are very, but like, I understand. I totally get what you mean. It's very hard for you to not see sappiness in a moment like this. Yes. And that right there, I think is the breakthrough. The yeah. fact that this is the big point. You guys have reached the climax of this episode that Jordan's heart grew two sizes today. And I have, I have James Cameron to thank for that. But Hell, yes, I, yeah. I'm, I'm very sensitive to romance in movies. I think I, I think it is romanticized. I think it's sort of like <laughs> it's not like it's not it's not accurate. And I, I a lot of times I think it's very very silly. Um, but this one it hit me different. And uh, yeah, and I like to think, and especially at the the very last scene when it's young Rose again and she's going up that stairwell to to see Jack. Uh, there was something else that I saw that uh, none of the survivors were in that scene, like none of her family, um, you know, none of the survivors were in that last scene. And the clock apparently was set to the moment that the ship sank, like the, the time that the the ship sank. Um, and it was sort of like her reuniting with, you know, her love, her lost love. And it was a, a great way to, 
conclude this adventure and it was yeah. like the sweetest way and i love to think that they lived happily ever after and she didn't just lose him in you know the water and like these, these are fictional characters what am i saying this is no, like <laughs> i mean you can you can view that in a couple of different ways you can see you know maybe she's she's falling asleep and she's just kind of dreaming about going about drifting off and being back with the the man she remembers and she's just relived this scenario with him mm-hmm. and she's just dreaming you could envision that you know she dies and decides to at that point go back under and be with the people who are you know just perpetually living in that beautiful moment where the ship was yep. gorgeous and every you know i think either way i mean i i cannot think of a more beautiful way to end something like this i mean the, the ending just really does warm your heart um, mm-hmm. i mean it is sad but it's like again with a with a real life situation like this how else do you end it by other than just kind of postulating that these people will forever live on in the spirit of the titanic might one say that their heart will go on i quit <laughs> I quit. This is my resignation. <laughs> what I'm left with at the end of the day is just that image of Leonardo. Maybe he has his hands in his pockets. I don't quite remember, but he's got that like shirt on. <laughs> and he's and he's you know what you know the scene that I'm talking. He's standing on the top of the stairs. I, and- I, I refuse to think of Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> with a shirt on. No <laughs> shirts for Leo in my thoughts. Not a one. No pants either. Hey everyone, let's dive into this outro, shall we? I'm sorry, uh, we're at www.take3amp.com if you want to hear more episodes. If you want to follow us on social media, feel free to do so at Take3AMP on all major social media sites. Those are all the number three. And as always, if you leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we would very, very much appreciate it. It helps us reach more listeners and it lets us know how we're doing. And I hope everyone is staying safe and managing this difficult time of quarantine and self-isolation. I hope everyone is safe and healthy and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.